Hello, everyone, and welcome to Texas Monthly's National Podcast of Texas. My name is Monty Williams, and each week I'll be talking to the talented writers and editors of Texas Monthly, along with the people they write about. It's the story behind the story. We hope you enjoy it. Here it is, the National Podcast of Texas. Senator Ted Cruz has been called the most hated man in Washington. Members of his own party have called him everything from Lion Ted to Lucifer in the flesh. Now it's 2018, and Cruz faces a serious challenge for his Senate seat. The question for voters, is being hated inside the Beltway a real liability or exactly what Texans want? This is the National Podcast of Texas, a production of Texas Monthly, the national magazine. R.G. Radcliffe has been covering politics in Texas for more than three decades. He's Texas Monthly's political editor, and he's the author of the January feature story on Ted Cruz. R.G., welcome. Thank you, Monty. I'm glad to be here. This November, Senator Ted Cruz will defend his U.S. Senate seat against the challenger from El Paso, Beto O'Rourke. R.G., is it a fair assessment that people just want to appeal to the base all the time now? Everybody wants to appeal to the base. I don't necessarily agree that the middle is shrinking, but the middle is uh, feeling pushed out. And some of that has to do with the fact that both parties have gotten much more focused on social issues than economic issues. Uh, I mean, you have to remember Bill Clinton won the presidency in 1992 with this internal slogan, it's the economy, stupid. But now when you look at an election, it's all about things like uh, abortion and uh, women's rights and gay rights, and it's a culture war. And when you get into something like a culture war, there's just not a whole lot of room for people to compromise. And so this large group of people in the middle who really don't care that much about it one way or the other, I mean, they may probably have an opinion, but it's not one of the burning issues to them. They're being pretty well cut out of American politics right now. Before you tell me what Cruz 2.0 really is, I want to play you this little clip from Ted Cruz talking about then-candidate Trump's chances of being president. Will you support him as the nominee? Donald Trump will not be the nominee. Donald Trump is a gift wrapped in a pink little bow for the Democratic Party. It hands the general election to Hillary Clinton. Well, what about it? He was dead wrong. Uh, Trump is the president today. Did that create Cruz 2.0, the fact that he thought Trump was going to lose and Hillary Clinton was going to be president and it didn't turn out that way? Uh, that was part of it. I mean, he angered a lot of Republicans by not uh, endorsing Trump at the Republican National Convention. He later on Facebook put out a statement of support for Trump. But, you know, part of the Ted Cruz 2.0 persona was that he was of the belief that Hillary Clinton was going to be elected president and he wanted to be prepared and positioned to run against her in 2020. The thing that happened when Trump won was that Cruz had to find this new path where he worked to do things that would make his base happy while at the same time somehow cooperating with the people that he referred to as the Washington cartel. As the landscape exists today, is a Trump supporter in Texas a Cruz supporter? I think, you know, you what you really have is Republican voters who will report, vote for a Republican. I, I tend to call them Red Rock Republicans. We used to have Yellow Dog Democrats, and a Yellow Dog Democrat would vote for a Yellow Dog so long as it was a Democrat. And these days we have Red Rock Republicans, and they'll vote for a Red Rock if it's a Republican rock. 
So it's really a little hard to differentiate between a Trump supporter and a Cruz supporter in terms of the general election. The thing about it is, is that uh, both Trump and Cruz are very popular with Republicans, and both Trump and Cruz are very, very unpopular with Democrats. And do you see that in a in a voter decline? I mean, overall, you know, if I'm constantly being barraged by these inflammatory appeals to each base, and I'm I, ideas a moderate voter, do I end up not voting? Uh, the evidence would suggest that because uh, in the last presidential election, only 59% of the registered voters in Texas voted. And it gets even worse if you look at the voting age population, only 46% of the voting age population bothered to register and vote. 46%, that sounds like there's less room for someone who IDs as a moderate to even play in the game. Well, there's some degree that's true. I mean, Texas has had a, a relatively low voter turnout. But as you take that number and go forward to uh, what we might expect this year, in uh, the 2014 race between uh, Greg Abbott and Wendy Davis, only uh, 25% of the voting age population turned out to vote that year. So the interest in, in getting involved in an election cycle is pretty low. And that is one of the things that Democrats have to hope for this year is that they are fired up and the Republicans, at least at this point, are not. We're talking with R.G. Ratcliffe. We'll be back after this. I'm guessing that by now, many of your New Year's resolutions haven't made it very far. But hey, it's not even February yet. There's still a resolution you can make that's quick and painless and will have you feeling more informed and more entertained. And that, of course, is to subscribe to Texas Monthly or visit us at TexasMonthly.com. We're back with R.G. Radcliffe, the political editor of Texas Monthly. R.G., you interviewed Senator Cruz up in Washington, D.C. at the Capitol Grill recently. And it's very interesting. I'm going to play this clip for you because it's Senator Cruz talking about what is his idea of Cruz 2.0. I think it has been a steady continuation of fighting for the principles I was elected to fight for. The portrait of a wild-eyed bomb thrower was always a character. Some in politics, some in the media found it a convenient caricature. Ted Cruz really doesn't like this 2.0 label, does he? No, I mean, it's become a little problematic for him because it originated with his staff trying to get this idea across that there was going to be a new approach to governing. But it sends a message to his base that he is giving up being the radical, bomb-throwing, take-no-prisoners kind of politician. And what the Tea Party crowd really wants is a politician that is uncompromising. And 2.0 carries across the idea of, I'm going to compromise on certain issues. The fact that Trump didn't win Texas in the primary, do you expect Trump to come down and campaign for Ted Cruz? Well, that's a hard one, because so far we haven't really seen Trump campaign for anyone. Um, I've got to think that in all likelihood, Trump will come through Texas looking for money. Maybe Cruz appears on a stage with him amongst a bunch of high dollar donors. But in terms of, you know, Donald Trump actually having a vote for Ted Cruz rally, I sort of think that's pretty low on the list. Well, let me go to something that may be even lower on the list of possibilities. Do you expect Cruz to run against Trump in the primary if Trump's the incumbent and Cruz is the U.S. senator and it looks like Trump is vulnerable in a primary in 2020? 
I don't think he is planning that at this moment in time. I think he is thinking more in terms of running for president again in 2024. But if you do have a situation where, you know, it's it's pretty obvious that Donald Trump's cratering and if a Republican beats Trump in the, the primary process, then you're looking at another possible eight years before he could run for president again. I, I don't think you'd be able to keep Ted Cruz out of that race with a team of wild horses. Does Beto O'Rourke have any chance at all? Beto O'Rourke's chances are really pretty low, but it's going to be a serious race. Most of the time, the Democrats in this state get 43% of the vote, and that's usually two to three million people. So it's not like there's non-existent Democratic voters. It's just that the Republicans start with like a six to nine point advantage amongst people who do vote. But, you know, lightning strikes and it's doable. RG, thanks a lot for coming by. I've known you for a long time and it's great to see you again. Thank you for having me. Now it's time for our weekly visit with the editor-in-chief of Texas Monthly, Tim Taliaferro. Tim, welcome. Monty, I've been waiting to get back in the studio since last week. So thank you for uh, having me back. What do you got for us today? Uh, I thought we could talk about our bum steer of the year. I'll tell you, we talked a little bit about the bum steers on our first show, but you can never get enough bum steer, right? I think you want to talk about the top. I want to talk about number one, and that's Dan Patrick. Go for it. And, you know, this is always a controversial, much-anticipated event when we name our bump steers, in particular our bump steer of the year. And in this case, it wasn't really close. It was Dan Patrick, the lieutenant governor, for wasting everybody's time. This session, he totally set the agenda. He was clear about what he wanted to do. And one of those things that he really pushed on the rest of the state was the bathroom bill. It was sort of a a piece of legislation that was a fix in search of a problem. And so for all of us who watch this and who take very seriously analysis and smart monitoring of what goes on in the state capitol, to see this sideshow just, it was irritating and it was a distraction and it literally wasted people's time and money. And just for context, you had already put the lieutenant governor on the cover of Texas Monthly earlier in the year. Is that right? Yeah, it's not personal. We take issue with what he decided we were going to spend not just most of the session, but then a special session discussing, which was this bill that by seemingly every account was going to really harm the reputation of the state, really harm the business interests of the state, uh, and it was never going to pass. I guess the question that begs itself is, have you heard from the lieutenant governor or any of his staff about this? No, but I would welcome the chance. I would tell him everything I just told you to his face, and I, I wish he would call. Tim, promise me you'll be back next week. I can be persuaded so long as, you know, the lieutenant governor will take me out between now and then. <laughs> we'll make sure. We'll make sure of that. And now it's time for our regular feature. The Texanist. Hi, my name is Laney, and I have a question for the Texanist. I once read that self-respecting West Texans don't use umbrellas when it rains. Personally, I think umbrellas are for sissies. Do you agree? Thanks for the question, Laney. The Texanist will admit right off the bat that he's never in all his 50-plus years ever heard the claim that West Texans are reared to have a disdain for umbrellas. Of course, the Texanist does hail from Central Texas, But the Texanist's mother was a native Abilinian, and still he's never heard this claim before. The Texanist knows for a fact that his mother would not hesitate to open up an umbrella in the case of rain, and neither did she ever impart to her youngest son anything about umbrellas or umbrella etiquette. All that said, there are some aspects of West Texas life that do render umbrella usage a pretty infrequent phenomenon. 
Not only doesn't it rain a whole lot, but it can also be windy as hell, making the unfurling of an umbrella a very dicey proposition. Plus, the distances between point A and point B can be hundreds of miles, which means that people don't walk around much, especially when it's raining. But when West Texans do find themselves out in a storm, they know what to do. The region is full of proud and hardy people, but they are also an unfoolish lot and would not purposefully stand out in a downpour unprotected like a bunch of rain-doused dolts. To sum up, the Texanist, speaking from both his personal non-sissified experience and an excessive amount of research, is of the opinion that umbrellas are more often found in the hands of normal, right-thinking people who don't want to get soaked in the rain than in the hands of sissies. This goes for West Texas and most everywhere else in the world. Thanks again for the letter. By the way, the Texas is just curious. What is your stance on parasols? That's all the time we have for this week. Next week, we'll talk to Eric Benson, the Texas Monthly writer who did the piece on Beto O'Rourke. We'll also have an update from the nightcrawler herself, La Gorda Loca. Thank you to KUT, as always, for the great hospitality. To Brian Standifer, who produces the program. We'll see you all next week. You've been listening to the National Podcast of Texas, a production of Texas Monthly, the national magazine of Texas. Thanks for listening.